You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Yes, yes. This is good. The room is going to be super decorated next week, everybody. This is exciting. Some red, some green. Oh, it's going to be great. Cannot wait. It's not like I've been counting down since... December 26th of last year. So this is very exciting. Um, Wednesday night, again, I know it's difficult when there's so many plans happening on Thursday, but I really, I'm just, I'm just asking you, if you're watching at home, I'm asking you, it is so beneficial for us to come out together the night before Thanksgiving and, and testify to each other and to the world where the source of our Thanksgiving comes from. And it's kind, of, it's kind of a big ask, but it's also a little strange when we're like, God, you've blessed me so much. I have so many people coming over. I have so many places to go on Thursday. I have so much to prepare, so many blessings. I can't come to your house because you've blessed me too much. Maybe he'll be like, fine. Then next year, I won't. So you can get there. That was kind of a joke, kind of not. You discern how I meant that. But I think it would be great if as a family we came out on Wednesday night for, you know, a service to come to the Lord's table, to listen to our testimonies and what's been going on in the room uh, in, over the year, and to, to celebrate this tiny little meal that has more significance than any meal we'll ever eat in our entire life. Amen? So we look forward to that. Right now, we have a reading from the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Hold on to your seats. The dragons are coming. I'm just kidding. <laughs> A reading from the book of Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whoo, doggy, there's a lot in those verses. But he is the king who is and who was and who is to come. Which means that who he is today, he is, he is king for us today to show us that he was, whoa, that was weird, to show us that he was king for us yesterday, even if it didn't feel like he was, so that we would know that he's going to be king for us tomorrow. Amen. And so Paul would say, when you come to the Lord's table today, we proclaim today, we proclaim the Lord's death yesterday until he returns tomorrow. And so there's this whole idea that our lives as Christians are meant to be lived today from yesterday for tomorrow. And the testimony of Jesus is a testimony where on Good Friday, no one knew that day that Jesus was reaching back into the past and sending us somewhere we never thought we could go in the future. And so there's something very profound in our lives to be reminded today of who God was for us 
yesterday, which reminds us in a way that only remembrance can who he's going to be for us tomorrow. This is why God has made us romantic, sentimental people who always remember an event better than it actually happened. I yelled at Sophia. Can you believe this? Me. I yelled at Sophia because she wouldn't go to sleep one night. And then I felt bad for yelling at her, so I got in bed and laid next to her. I fell asleep and went back to my bed at about 4 o'clock in the morning, trying hard not to wake her up. The next day, she comes down the stairs and she says, Daddy, I remember what happened last night. And I'm like, what happened last night? And she said, you cuddled me the entire night. She remembers the event better than it happened. That's how Jesus is going to be with all of us. He's going to say, Helen, I remember, I know what you did last summer. (laughs) Part one and two. And you're going to be like, what did I do? You worshipped me. And you're going to be like, that's all you remember? No one say anything. This is who he is. This is who he is. And so when we share testimonies, we're telling everybody today what God did for us yesterday so that we're all encouraged for our tomorrow, which is coming. And so we, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, many weeks ago, we had Steve Saldana give his testimony, and how amazing was that? Steve did an amazing job. A couple weeks ago, Mark and Sheena Rumnit just destroyed the place with their testimony and did an absolutely amazing job. Mark makes fun of me because he calls me Hoppy, even though he's the one who had rabbit stuff injected into him. So, like, we have this common bond now where he's taught me how to hop. Um, Today, we have the Gould family coming to share for the first time. They have a testimony that most people know about, but this is the first time they're going to be sharing it in public in a succinct order. And actually, you know, I want them to come up here first. So Richard and Michelle, why don't you come up here first? Everybody get on your feet, put your hands together, and welcome this amazing, basically perfect family that's coming up here. Boom, my man, yes. You can sit down, you may be seated. I wanted to have them up here because before I show the video they gave me, I have a video of my own to show. In 2020, I don't know if anybody knows this, but we had a pandemic. And at the beginning, it was extremely confusing and none of us knew if we were going to like ever see each other again, if Jesus was coming back, if he came back and the whole world was left behind, which would be really like kind of funny, but also that's not great. We didn't know what was happening. I was, I was expecting to walk into my house and just see Jacqueline and Sophia's clothes on the floor and no body and be like, oh no, oh no. Um, it's, it's finally quiet in my house. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the case. So I asked a few people, would you send me, would you just send me a funny video that I can show to the church just to lighten things up? And, and when you send me a video, I have the video forever forever. This is the first video I got back. And let me say something. Right now in the world around us, people are no longer funny. The sense of humor is going away fast, and people are uptight. People I know are uptight. Some of you are uptight. And this is a family that is not uptight, They're down loose, if that's the opposite of what uptight would be. And so here's a quick clip of what I got from them and their family outside of their house in front of their neighbors. 
Again, outside in front of their neighbors. By choice, they did this, just so everybody knows. This is, uh, this is exactly how you dance. And Rich, I don't care what you say, you're feeling yourself in that video. Like, you, yeah. <laughs> Look at this. All right, all right. That's amazing, everybody. I pray that kind of looseness on all of our lives. And by the end of today, it's going to be even more amazing how this family has so much joy because they've walked through a little bit over the years and God has been very good, not just to their home, but to their soul. You to have a soul that is contagious and gospel. And I pray that today, you know, everyone takes off their spiritual masks and catches the, the virus of the gospel that you guys have in you. And so I'm going to let you take us to the beginning and set the table for this video that you're going to show. This is going to, we're going to go up and down. This is, like, this is fun and emotional and, and, and there's going to be some warming moments and some terrifying moments. But this is a testimony worth sharing. And so I just pray that whatever you're wrestling with, let that be open don't push that away, and let this testimony speak over that. So, Michelle. Lord Jesus, we come before you as humbly as we know how, asking for your blessing, asking for your mercy. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to be able to touch people's souls today, Lord God. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you guide us through our testimony today, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord God, that you, Lord God, are the porter, the potter, and we are the clay. Amen. And make us and mold us into your way yes. so that we deliver to people the message that you want them to receive. We thank you for the blessing that you've given us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Introduce the video, oh. yeah. Okay, so this is a video um, of um, our family two years ago, and this is... Uh, Ryler signing two years ago. At age four, Ryler Gould suffered a major injury while mowing the lawn with his dad one day. His foot got stuck in the mower, suffering intensive injuries and requiring extensive surgeries along the way. It was it was a, it was rough surgery. I had to learn how to walk again. I had um. I had to go through wheelchair and crutches and all that stuff. But his foot became deformed until one doctor stepped in and conducted additional reconstructive surgery when Ryler was just 11 so he could walk normally again. Now a senior at Newburgh Free Academy North, Ryler is a star track and field athlete, breaking state records for the 400-meter hurdles and winning gold at the 2019 Penn Relays. I asked him if he could have ever expected to get this far. Not, not at all. I mean, I just, I just joined track to just run and have fun. Track is just what I love best because I love to run, and it was, all, it was all just having fun, and it still is. Monday morning, it all paid <laughs> off. Ryler officially signing a letter of intent to attend the University of Miami to study graphic design on a full four-year paid scholarship, <laughs> making the choice between four schools in front of a packed crowd of his friends, classmates and family members. It was a tough decision, but in the in the end it was it was great. It was a great decision. Everybody everybody it was so tight who to choose, but 
Miami came in the long run, so I'm pretty excited, and I can't wait to go there. Ryler excelling not just on the track, but in the classroom, too. With everybody between them and my coach and my counselors in school telling me that, listen, in order to get where you need to get, you can run as fast as you can, but without grades, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. So I had to buckle down and not only worry about running, I had to worry about um, staying in the books. Thanks to the support of his mom, dad, and little brother. I'm just really proud of his achievements. He's worked um, really hard. Um, there were a lot of nights that he would be up um, learning how to walk again, going from the wheelchair to the walker to the crutches. And, and his never-ending drive to succeed, despite the hurdles that stood in his way. I'm over here running track with a foot when I wasn't even projected to be able to walk normally again, and I'm over here running track and doing hurdles nonetheless. Something I always tell everybody is if you want to achieve something, then attack it. Don't be scared because it just sounds out there. If you, if you think you can do it, then there's always a possibility that you can. In Newburgh, Olivia Leach, Spectrum News. It was it was a real it was a real hard decision to go to the University of Miami. <laughs> you said Miami went out in the long run. I thought that was clever. Nice job with the long run. No, all right. He's too perfect over there. We'll be hearing from you in a moment. So amazing. Um, why hasn't God done anything with my foot? That's what I want to know right now. That's the main question we have here. Do it. It's, it's coming very slowly. Patience, yes. Patience. So tell me, tell me, tell us all what happened that day. Where were you? What was going on? Just. Give us the full, the full emotion of it. Okay, so first, um, let me just say that I'm from Brooklyn, and um, thank you, thank you. And um, I, I was born uh, in a family that saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized church. Praise the Lord. And then I went away to college, and I met my husband, who's from the Bronx. <laughs> and my husband's Jewish. So <laughs> God put us together. And it's been 31 years we've been Amen. together now. So through that reunion, God gave us um, two children, Ryler and Raiden. Um, for those of you, most of you know that I am, I am a, a healthcare worker in trauma. Um, and so it's not unlikely for me to receive phone calls from other hospitals. So I was actually, um, I had just spoke to my husband and Whenever he would go mow the lawn, Ryla had, if you guys remember, those walking lawnmowers with either the bubbles or those little balls in it. So Ryla's favorite one was the one with the balls and the one with the bubbles, and he was walking um, with his dad. And, um, and uh, I spoke to him on the phone, and he said he was going to go out and mow the lawn, and I said, okay, you guys have fun, and I'll talk to you when you get through. So I went on to do my job, and all of a sudden, um, someone came over to me and said, you have a call from St. Luke's Hospital. And so it's not uncommon at all for me to get a call from another hospital because I work in trauma. And I got on the phone, and there was a person on the phone to me, and she said, is this Michelle Young? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, you have to get to St. Luke's Hospital. Um, your son has been in an accident. And my response to her was, no, my son is at home with his father. And she said, your son's foot was caught in the lawnmower. And that is how I knew at that point that the call was for me. I don't recall how I drove from the, my hospital to the hospital to St. Luke's. 
I don't ever recall getting in my car. I don't ever recall driving. I remember that I had lots of coworkers around me saying, I'll drive, I'll drive, but I don't recall any of that. I do know when I arrived to the hospital that my husband was just in a state, and I knew that something was really wrong because my husband and I are very close, and the call that came was not from him. So in walks uh, Dr. Um, Lewis Kappa, and he was the head of podiatry at St. Luke's Hospital. And he comes in, and what he says to me is that we are checking now to see if we can save your son's foot. I, at that point in time, tried to compose myself because my husband, who was always so strong and so brave, was not at that particular moment. And I always looked for him, for courage, and for strength. He is definitely my rock, and he was just beside himself at that time. And so the doctor then comes in, and the doctor looks at my face, and he said, we're going to save your son's foot. Amen. We're going to save his son's foot. So Ryler had uh, his first surgery at that point in time, and he was four years old. And it was grueling as a mother, as a parent, to have a perfectly normal child. And now you have a child who has a wheelchair and a walker and crutches and is in pain. And so much pain as a mother that you cannot make it better and you cannot make it go away. Mm. And I would cry. And there were days that my husband was just so broken, so broken. And I had to be there for him, and I had to be there for Ryler. So many years went on, and Ryler walked with a very significant limp. We were told that we're going to save his foot, but your son is never going to walk normally again. And so we continue to walk and pray, and I just continued to pray every day. Lord, please give me direction. Lord, please show me the way. What was it like during this time? So you're saying like years are going by now. So the, mm -hmm. the trauma of the moment has sort of settled a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like how, Rich, how are you feeling as, as the years are unfolding and you're moving away from the event, but you're still, you know, going through this patient process of surgeries and stuff like what, what are your emotions during this time? Well, as Michelle said, the night and, you know, um, immediately after I was destroyed as a father, you're supposed to protect your children. You have to, you know, you're the rock of the house, you're the protector. And, you know, in my heart to this day, like I let this happen. I know it was something that I didn't do, but I let it happen, and that was uh, devastating for, for even to this day. I watch videos as well as he is, as healthy as Ryler is. Um, to this day, it, it really e eats at me. But over the course of time, um, seeing him get healthy again, was, was, I was able to come out of it um, because at first it was hard to just on a daily basis, hard to, to get up and watch him. And, like, he was in pain, you know, constantly. Mm. Um, and then when he was 
starting to feel better, he had to go through physical therapy, which is painful, right? We all know. So it was just more pain. So my, my insides were really, it was hard for a long time. But the healthier he got and the better he got, the better I got. So as God physically healed him, he was emotionally and mentally healing our family. So mm, that's good. That, that's, that's, really where good. I, that's where we were for a very long time. Everybody heard that? There's, when, when, and then that, that goes for a house family like this. It goes for our church family. That healing is a process. Like that's why the Bible discerns the difference between healing and miracle. Healing is a process that is miraculous, but it's over time. And, and healing for one person is parabolic for all kinds of different healings around you. And so our, some of our healing is wrapped up in somebody else's injury. And as they heal, so will we. And so we're never perfectly healed until those around us are healing. And it's important for us to know that we're connected in that way. You're preaching, man. <laughs> so, um, you know, the time, right? Days passed, weeks passed, months passed. Um, we, we had, you know, our relationship had not changed, but had been through, you know, something like that. You know, Ryler at times was, was you know, he would, he would you know, he, I don't think there was ever any loss of love, but he could look at me and probably in his heart wonder, wow, you know, I don't, maybe I shouldn't be with dad today or maybe I need mom today. And so Michelle stepped in when she needed to. Um, our relationship, again, was strained. So there was healing all over the place. It wasn't just, okay, we got to heal his foot and once that's fine, everything will go back to normal. It wasn't that easy and it was difficult and it's a long process, but we're here, you know, and, and and I'm obviously we're very, very grateful, but you can go ahead and and start with this. All right. So, um, it was about four years later, um, we, believe it or not, um, when Ryler was walking with us, I took about three, four months off of work. I took a leave of absence from my job just so I could be home with Ryler all the time. And as we continued to go to physical therapy and everything with this, with this limp that he had, and I had went out to go food shopping. And when I went to go food shopping, I came back and I got a phone call that Ryler had broke his arm. I don't mean to interrupt you, but it was about three years later. Yes. She was out food shopping. She didn't get a call. She came back to a note on the door that, <laughs> that said, meet us at St. Luke's. Oh, my gosh. We're in, we're, everything's okay, but I think Ryla broke his arm. Yes. Go ahead. So, thank you, honey. <laughs> so, um, I was not as mad as I was the first time because Ryla walked with a very significant limp. And sometimes he would stuttle over sidewalks and things like that. So it was actually going up the slide at our house that he fell. So we're at St. Luke's Hospital, and I walk in, and they say, your son broke his arm, and that we're going to have to put a metal plate in your son's arm. And I said, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're going to call a trauma center, like a major trauma center, So um, we called Westchester Medical Center, 
and they took us by ambulance down to Westchester Medical Center. Not because they wanted to, because mom demanded it. I love that. True, true. I love that, yes. Yes. That's not what you're doing. You're going so, to do this. Yes. Right? Yes. You have to have people who know what yes. they're doing. So en route, we go now to um, the hospital. And this is the most amazing thing about this is that of all the people to be at Westchester Medical Center, in walks the very head of orthopediatric orthopedic surgery, Dr. Damien Dobello. You realize what just happened there? That broken arm got this child to the best foot doctor that you could possibly ever imagine. Don't don't hate on God when the second thing goes wrong, because sometimes that second thing is getting to the healing of the first thing. This is what working all things together for good does. I'm sorry. I just can't not interject. You guys are just, this is amazing. Go, go, go. Go ahead, Pastor. So here he walks in, and so he notices that um, Ryler's walking with a limp. And he looks over at me and he said, well, what happened to him? And I said, oh, it's been four years ago. He hurt his foot and uh, he walks with a limp now. And he said, well, we got to give him his childhood back. He said, so first I'm going to fix his arm and then I'm going to fix his foot. Come on. Come on. And I thought to myself, I said, there's no way. I don't know how this is going to work out. But we just continue to pray and continue to believe God. And so we continue to see Dr. DeBello all the time from the, uh, many, many years. And he kept saying, don't worry, don't worry. Technology is going to catch up to us. We're going to do this. Don't worry, don't worry. Just have faith. And one day we got a phone call and he said, I need you guys to come into the office. And we're thinking, we don't know what is going on, what's happening. So we come in. And we sit down, and he says, I have an idea. And we're like, okay. He said, we're going to use a cadaver bone. We're going to use cadaver bones, and we are going to rebuild his foot with the cadaver bones. (laughs) Now, there may be a possibility that he is going to reject these bones because they're donated. So you have to pray. And so we left the doctor's office and we were tussling and praying and tussling and praying and saying, Lord, show us what do you want us to do? What do we do? What do we do with this? Lord, if we allow him to have this surgery, there's a possibility he can get an infection. There's a possibility that other things could go wrong. There's a possibility that his body's going to reject these donated bones. But my husband and I talked about it and we decided we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So we arrived at the hospital at Westchester Medical Center, and there was a huge team of doctors ready and waiting. And we, just like you see them come in with the heart, we saw them coming in with the donated bones, and they're coming in to bring them in for the surgery. And we waited for the surgery, and it was a very long surgery. And they came out, and as the doctor kind of walks through, he said there was a lot of damage, but we've done it. We've done it. We rebuilt his foot. We've done it. Amen. Can we give God the glory? Give God the glory. Amen. When I tell you, I could not believe that this was the turn of events that God allowed to be in our life. And so 
from that moment, now here's the next phase. He says he's going to need to be out of school for a while. And he's going to need to um, have a special bus only for him. And he, I remember him sitting down and saying to Ryler, I need you to understand that these bones are donated. So you have to be extra careful. So the Newburgh and Large City School District provided us with a bus only for him, with an aid only for him. And the bus would arrive after months and months of physical therapy um, to take Ryler to school. But one day we were sitting down, and it was a snowy day, and I looked over at my son's face, and he said to me, he said, Mom, do you ever think I'm going to be able to walk normally again? And in my heart, I didn't know. But I said to him, yes, I believe you will. And he looked in my face and he said, Mom, if I ever learn how to walk normally again, I'm going to run. Come on. Come on. And so we continued to go through the therapy. But can I tell you, when my son woke up from the surgery, the screams that came from him, the screaming and the hollering that came from him. I remember my husband going over to his bedside. We never left his bedside. And he said, Ryler, I am so sorry that you're going through this pain. I would do anything to trade paces with you. And my son looked at his father and he said, no, dad, I would never want you to go through the amount of pain that I'm in. Morphine was not working. Percocet was not working. Oxycontin were not, was not working. He was in so much pain. You have to realize that now when you get these bones, they have to now start the process of attaching to your bones and your veins and your ligaments. And in the middle of the night, he would just be screaming as God was healing him. Mm. In that room, I realized that what was happening was the angels were working. God was allowing the word, the angels to do surgery and put things in place. And when I would hear him screaming and hollering and pain, I knew and I could feel the presence of the Lord. Amen. I could feel Amen. the presence of the Lord in that room. That's good. And do you know that as this continued to happen and continued to heal, Ryla would go to school now. It was time for him to go to school so the bus would pick him up. He was not allowed to be in school during the time the other kids were in school. He'd have to wait about 30 minutes after because they did not want any children to run into him or to bang into him because his bones were donated. And so because of that, um, he had to really go through a lot of pain. And can I tell you that after that, Probably about two years later, after going through all of this, the doctor told us that he can't play sports. No way, no how. No basketball, no football, no, nothing competitive at all whatsoever. He said he will never be able to play sports again. And so in two years later, after we get through, because Ryla had this surgery in the fifth grade, Ryla comes in, and my husband and I are... It was the beginning of seventh grade. Right? Regular of seventh grade, sorry. And he comes in and he says, um, Mom, Dad, he's like, they're having track, tri- track tryouts at school tomorrow. He was so excited. He was so excited. And I looked over at Rich and I was like, 
Okay. And so he says, I'm going to try out. I'm like, okay, all right, sounds good, you know. So as he walked out the room, I looked over at Rich. Rich looked over at me. I'm like, this is never going to happen, but we're not going to disappoint him. And, and the thing is, <clears throat> that year, like about a year and a half from the time he had the surgery to this tryout, the doctor originally said, oh, three, four months, yes. he'll be back to normal, he'll be running around. And it was like a year later, he was still in pain. And we, you know, I could, for me, speak for us, but I was just crying every night, like, did we do the right thing? Because, you know, a year later, you're thinking, wow, this is never going to get better. Um, and we did this to try and give him back his child, that he give him back his health. And now it just seems like we're not going to get there. And it was really sad. About a, it was about a year, you know, over a year later, he finally, like, didn't hurt at night. Being on his feet wasn't, like, terribly painful. And it started to come around. So we were starting to feel a little bit better. And then it's like, oh, you know, they made an announcement today. They're going to do a track tryout. I'm like, like running, track and field? <laughs> so you never discourage your children. But behind closed doors, we were like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. Mm-hmm. So um, he went to the first tryout. And then uh, he comes home the next day. He's like, Mom, they said I'm gonna, I can come back tomorrow. I'm like, okay, honey, all right, all right. So I'm thinking, yeah, okay, whatever. So uh, I take him the next day. And Raiden at that time was little. And Raiden and I get in the car. And I just left work early, get him over there. And all of a sudden, it was my first time seeing Ryler running. I remember calling my husband on the phone. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, get over here. He's running. And I'm like, he's really fast. Get, get over. So my husband runs over. And believe it or not, Ryler made the varsity track team in the seventh grade. <laughs> Hence, we get a phone call at that point after that, and it was Nike, at Nike, the Nike company. We heard about this kid in Newburgh who's running. We want to come see him. And I'm like, what? So I come there, and sure enough, I go to school. There's Nike, Nike, the whole Nike companies there, all these people here. And I'm just like, what is going on? They came to see Ryler running, but what they really came to see is the miracle. Amen. Amen. Because That's he right. was never supposed to be able to do this at all. And when I tell you that we believe in miracles, we believe in miracles because it happens every day in our lives that we wake up in the morning and we see what God has done. It is a miracle that he is walking, let her known running. And so now when he goes and signs up and now he's going to run, the coach comes up to me and he said, this kid's a hurdler. I said, oh, what? I did never do sports in my whole life. And I'm like, oh, what? He said, he's a hurdler. I'm like, sir, do you know that he cannot walk like barely? Like he can, he said, no, he's a hurdler. This child is a hurdler. And the next thing you know, Ryler starts to hurdle. And we always say, and our message is, you can hurdle over life's challenges. That's right. That's right. You can hurdle over life's challenges. Hurdling over life's challenges. And so I'm here to tell you that God can and will perform a miracle when you do not see a way at all whatsoever. That God can still do miracles that you can see every day. And the one thing that I have to say about my son, and not just because he's my son, 
He is so humble. The humility that he has. And the reason that is is because he spent months watching other kids walk around and run around him and play. And he couldn't do that. And he was suffering. And so his gift now, what he does to so many children, and what he does is to speak all the time about what God can do in your life. So God uses him as a blessing. Because every time he runs, you're going to see him pray. Every time you see him kneeling, he's praying. Every time he gets up from the floor, he's praying. And you're going to see him praying. And I am so grateful to God that God allowed us to be the blessing to allow this to happen. That he allowed our marriage to be the foundation because there were plenty of people that would have walked away. There were days that I said, no, I can't do this. Because I would look at my husband so angry and God just began to take the anger away and more and more and more and more love came out and made our family bigger and brighter and stronger than we could have ever imagined. So it's all about God's grace. It is about God's grace. And I just want somebody either here or at home to know that miracles still can happen. Amen. Amen. Every day. That miracles can still happen and that you can have a better life when you see no way out. Because I would lay on my knees and I would just be crying and sobbing. And there were days that my husband would just be so broken. And I would go to my husband and we would pray. We would pray together and we would pray and God and God in that way took this person who grew up Jewish, who had a bar mitzvah and he believes in Lord more than anybody. And so he's a Jew for Jesus because he's going to tell you what God can do because he sees firsthand. So I just wanted to encourage you today and tell you that um, God is good and that when we say that God is a miracle worker a way maker, that he is just that. And so um, Ryler arrived home this morning, early in the morning today, to be here with you all today. You want to show the pictures first before yes. he comes up? They, they've been showing them. Have but, they been? And, and one thing I would just like to say is that I know growing up and as a young adult, in my mind, miracles happen like that, right? It's like night and day, miracle. Miracles happen over long periods of time sometimes. It's not just, you know, getting up and opening your eyes. And those are all obviously great things that God has done and history tells us. But God does miracles. And in my life, I never thought I would ever be able to forgive myself for what I did. Very long time, but I do. God has forgiven me. My wife has forgiven me, and I forgive myself. Amen. That's, that's a long process. Amen. And to cap off this amazing story, you and your son were baptized together on the, on the same night, which was yes. amazing. Yes. So, you all ready to meet the man, the myth, the legend here? Let's get on our feet and welcome Ryler as he comes to speak to us this morning. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
So I have a few important questions for you. First of all, what is it like to be absolutely perfect? Don't answer that question. It was just a joke. Man, I cannot wait until a few years from now we're all like watching Netflix and all of a sudden the whole, if you don't think you can, just do it Nike uh, documentary on you comes out. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty dope. How do you feel when you, when you hear your parents tell this story? What, what's been going through your mind as you've been sitting there listening? Uh, well, I mean, it's like a lot of laughs, a lot of love, a lot of sadness. It's like all, all in one. But just to hear them talk about it and to go over it again, it, it's definitely just like kind of overwhelming, kind of like unreal, just makes me go over and really like understand like what, because it's hard because I was so young, so mm. I don't remember a lot, but when I hear them tell it, it really is just like a blessing because I, it's really hard, like the pain, the screaming, all that, I don't really remember it all, but to hear them talk about it is, it, it's really amazing and Without them, I really don't know because he might have been the one to do the accident, but in no way, shape, or form did he let that change the way he treated me, the way he handled me, and the way she treated me and handled me. They both did like such an amazing job, and they made me recover more and made me a better person more than beforehand. So it, was, it really is amazing. That's amazing. And I mean, like, listen, like, we're so proud of you. Like, I, this, this kid is, he's good looking. He's fast. He's strong. He's at the University of Miami. So pray for him. And, and a hedge of protection about him. And he texts me a few months ago, hey, pastor, just want to know how you're doing. And I'm like, you're at the university. Man, thank you. Like, that is... That is so awesome that you think to do that. And we, we have these wonderful conversations. And, and, and you're as intense about your grades and about your, your, your virtue as a person as you are about, about running. Why, why are you so intense about those other things, not just running? Oh, well, I mean, track only lasts you so long. And I know, I know that. And I realize that uh, a lot of athletes don't. They get it over their head. I don't understand. But your grades and just getting through school you have so much more to life than just sports. And that goes for family and friends and mm. jobs and all that. And I think more than anything, just beside running and running track, I mean, I made a lot of good friends first year. And I've been in touch with my family. And I have a 3.4 grade point average. Come on, man. Yes. Like that. So I think, I think that's all really important just to keep that and to keep character and just to be successful like beyond track because that only lasts so far especially especially the age we're at it doesn't last long so you want to go beyond that and make sure you set yourself up for the future too so that's where the grades come in and that's why mm. I work so hard on that mm. you all li listen listen he is preaching what we just said today he's remembering yesterday for his tomorrow and he's he's being an example to all of us for that um, when you're when you're at school, when you're when you're running, when you're busy, you know, coming in first place and flying and getting scholarships and stuff, do people ask you about your story? Have people heard about it? Have you told it to to friends or coaches or anything? Yeah, I mean, I I don't like to talk about it like a lot because I don't want to feel like belittled or anything. I don't want anybody to feel any particular way about me or anything, but. Everybody I come across, like coaches, like close friends, when I get to a point, 
I always explain them like the story and I explain like this is the reason why I'm running like I just like to do it and being blessed help get there and like running is just such a strong passion I have because of the position I was in that like this is why I like running so it comes more across like as a conversation like more towards the conversation not me explaining like the story of my foot really but explaining why I like to run and like why I enjoy doing it because everybody likes like everybody might have a reason for running whether it's like money or they like to run as well or they came across it doing a different sport but I just explain I like to do it for fun and that's where that comes across mm-hmm. so you're free you do this for fun, you're, but you're preparing your life for when running is no longer happening? Yeah, or... absolutely. Like, I always tell my friends, like, the position with running is when I first started running, I didn't expect to get a scholarship. I didn't expect to get first place. I didn't expect to do anything. It was all just fun. And I always said, like, if for some reason I didn't get a scholarship or I was never as good as I was, I would still run. I would still do it whether I was, like, a club or a walk-on, I would still run because it's just something I have a passion for, way beyond scholarship money or anything. It's just fun. Dude, you, I, I hope you know how unbelievably mature that is. Like, there are so many of us who, who the, thing, the thing that we want the most becomes an obsession and it stops being fun. Right. The, minute, the minute you need something to be your identity, it stops being fun and it actually starts being a burden that can be toxic. So the fact that you can keep this sport that you are so unbelievably good at in the context of fun and just let it be fun until, until it's, the time is done and then you have all the things that you're preparing yourself for. That's, that's so beyond just the fact that you, that you can run fast. I mean, you're, you're, this has catapulted you to a very mature life at a very, very young age. And I think everybody here is extremely proud of you for that. Like, we pray what you're doing over all of our kids. I, I do I do enjoy running like practices I enjoy like all that all that I enjoy going to practice. The only thing I don't enjoy is waking up at six in the clock in the morning for weights. But <laughs> the running part in the afternoon it just it's fun to go out and have fun and just run out be in the atmosphere with so many talented people and just to compete with other people in different events and practice and all that, talk to coaches. I mean even afterwards, even after practice, I sit for an extra half hour and just watch because <laughs> it's just uh, like just being in the atmosphere of the track is really just something I enjoy. How intense is D1 sports from, from high school? Wait, what? Is, it, are, is D1 sports super intense? Like when you got oh, yeah. there and you, were, and <laughs> you got a, into... It's a, yeah, it's a whole different atmosphere. They, they, they make it a lot more, obviously, about business because that's their jobs. Their job is to make, their, uh, to make the team look better. So they, they focus a lot on all of that, but... They, they do make it fun. Like, we do joke around at practice. We do whatever because if it gets too hard or too much like business, then it does become unfun. And you just have to keep that in mind because when times do get hard, you have to keep in mind, like, I'm doing this for me and I'm not doing it for them. Like, mm. So you just have to, like, keep that in your head and just say, like, this is something I enjoy and it's not all about business all the time. You save the business for when it matters and on the times that it's not important or you're at practice and you just make the most of it, you make that part fun. So that way the business isn't too overwhelming. That's awesome. 
Um, has this story, like when you've gotten into other difficult times in life, whether it's just the grind of like a ton of schoolwork and sports and everything, like when you've gotten into moments that are just difficult outside of running, does the story of what you've been through give you strength in other, like do you think about it and derive strength from it in other areas when the, things get difficult? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can definitely say school, school, school is stressful, I mean, for anybody whether you're an athlete or not, school, there's a lot of times where school can be stressful with work and everything. But just like track, you have to just keep focused, keep mentally locked in. And that goes for a lot of things. I mean, there's some things track has taught me about other things, and there's some things life has taught me about track. I can say the same thing for school before track. Or I can say I play video games a lot. There's sometimes like where I get frustrated, and I learn like being focused in that is the same way I need to be focused in track. Mm. So there's a lot of things outside of track that can definitely come into track. There's there's challenges I have on the track that in real life it's the same thing. It's just different or it's just worded different, but in reality it's all the same thing. Like in life in life you have to run, you have you eventually have a finish line that you have to get to. Hmm. And you have challenges, you may have a couple hurdles. Um but that's that's really that's really how it is. Life, life. It's a circle of life. Literally, track is a circle. <laughs> like, there's, man, you better keep going. Like, that's that's good. If you guys want to, yes, John and Steph, if you want to get up there, man, you are like just get get on the organ, John, so he could keep talking about all of these metaphors and stuff. Like, dude, you 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 really are an inspiration. You're you're one of my absolute favorite people. I'm, I love this story. But I love the fact that you've become more than just this one thing that's happened. Like, and I love the fact that you have been able to make yourself bigger than the, than the story with injuring your foot and then getting a scholarship to the University of Miami. Like you're, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to, to take that, but that is actually a mustard seed and it's growing into so much more than Thank just you. you being super fast. There's a, one more thing I want to add, because beside them... Beside you can them, add as many more things <laughs> as you want to add. Beside them, always talking and helping me and supporting me. Um, I'd say number one supporter, number one fan, him over there. <laughs> yes, sir. Stand up for a second so everybody can see you, Raiden. Just give him one of the I coolest kids on the face of the <laughs> earth over here. Yes. I talk to him literally every day. We, we talk, text every day about track, about video games, about how his school is going and him playing basketball. We have just such a strong bond. And I feel like without him, I'd really be like a whole different person because he really brings everything Absolutely. out of me, for sure. <laughs> you, you know, I got, where's Frankie? Stand up for a second, big Frank. We, my brother and I, we have a verse that we share with each other throughout the year, and it's, it's a verse, I believe it's in Proverbs, and it says, brothers were born for adversity. And no one, no one can get you through difficulty like a sibling like that. And so I just, my brother and I, like, we both probably got choked up when you guys just had that moment. And it's, it's real, and it's amazing, and so, like, I feel the same way about Frankie. Like, my testimony has him in the beginning, middle, end, and will be in the end of it. Hopefully we don't get to the finish line as fast as he does. <laughs> but, well, we won't, no matter what. <laughs> but do you, do you think I could be a track star one day when this? Hey, I mean, you got the, the, you got the boot. That's the first step, yeah. right? <laughs> These... <laughs> you heard him again. That's the first step. Like, this kid has got it. 
these are my Air Jesuses that I wear for a little while. Listen, I want to. I want to do something. I want to do something really interesting uh, today. Today is Christ the King Day. It was two years ago today that uh, I was ordained as a priest here in this room, and I wanna. I want to do something that I think probably is me breaking a lot of rules, but I feel like it's really necessary. And so I just wonder if, um, Rich, if you would, if you would take that cup and hold on to that cup for a second, and rather, if you would just come over here and hold on to this, please. You can give me the microphone. And I want you to hold on to this. And you can go back there and sit down with that. We, we had some conversations on Zoom when we were planning for this. And one of the things that you said was, and this is just, I'm going to put the pastor hat on now for a second. No one else is in the room. It's just us. And one of the things you said was, I, I wonder, like, I'm so glad he's doing so well, but I wonder how much better he could be doing if this didn't happen. And I think we all know from this story, he probably wouldn't be where he is right now at all. But what you're holding in your hands right now, what you're holding in your hands right now as father and son together is the proof that through something that broke, a literal body that broke, more healing came through Jesus' brokenness than the brokenness itself. More good happened than the bad of the brokenness. And you're holding it in your hand right now. And so I want to pray over the Eucharist like we always do, but then I would like to do something interesting. I want each of you to give each other the bread, and I want you to repeat something specifically afterwards. So first, let's pray. And of course, anybody who feels comfortable coming up here, when we're done, you can come up and receive the bread Um, up here. If you feel more comfortable using your communion cups, that's fine. But let's just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, all of our stories live into the singular story which is on the night when you were betrayed on the night when we got hurt on the night when we had an accident on the night when we made a mistake on the night when you were betrayed you took bread and in the midst of betrayal and darkness you said this is my body and it's going to be broken and it's going to look awful and it's going to make no sense to you And you just looked at your disciples, and in looking at your disciples, you looked at each and every one of us. You looked at the world, and you said, you will not understand this tonight. But after the resurrection, you will look back and understand, this is my body, which is broken for you, to heal you. Healing will come from brokenness from now on. Lord God, you knew that the one thing we will all have in common is brokenness. We will all understand brokenness more than we understand wholeness. We understand death more than we understand life. We understand that things break more than we understand that things heal. And so you took brokenness in your hands. And you said from now on, brokenness is going to heal. And then you had supper with us, and you ate patiently with us, knowing we were going to deny you, knowing we were going to betray you, knowing we were going to doubt you, knowing we were going to run from the cross, knowing we were going to say that we don't know you, knowing that we were going to utterly, and every day you know that we're going to do those things. You sat there, and you enjoyed eating dinner with your children, and after supper, You took the cup of wine and you said, now, through that broken bread is going to come this blood 
that is a new way to look at suffering, a new way to look at brokenness, no longer with guilt or shame, but with the expectation that God has now talked to suffering with his own body and said, you won't exist the way that you've existed before. Through you is going to come healing. Through you is going to come life. Through the tomb is going to come the church. And you said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for everyone, for the forgiveness of everything that's about to happen tonight. As often as you come to this table, come to this table in remembrance of me. And so right now, Father God, in the hands of a father and a son who have gone through a lot together, I pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and the drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray, Father God, that you would descend on all of us in this room, all of us watching from home right now. I pray that you would descend on us and make us for the world the body of Christ. I pray that for the world, we would look at the world and say, this is our body, this is our story, this is our money, this is our time, this is our talent, this is our, these are our words given for you, broken for you. And I pray that the world would see you, Lord Jesus, through our brokenness, our humility, our need for repenting. I pray that our need for repenting wouldn't repel people, but it would show them a truthful honesty that we're no better than anybody else. We're just the sinners who know where the anecdote is. We're just the sinners who know where we can be healed from. Rich, if you would hand me that cup for a moment. Rather, I would like you to take a piece of that bread. And I'd like you to look at your dad and say, through brokenness comes more healing than the brokenness. Take and eat. And Rich, I'd like you to take a piece of the bread and say the same thing. Say, through brokenness comes more healing than the brokenness. Take and eat. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Goulds, thank you so very much. Why don't you why don't you offer your mom communion as well? She's a big part of the story. She told the doctors what to do. <laughs> Take and eat. And rather you can hand me that uh, that tray. You all may be seated. Thank you so much for your story. We love you guys so much. Absolutely. Dan, can you just move those chairs to the side so they're out of people's ways, please? I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now as the worship team sings, if you want to come and receive the bread uh, from me, you're more than welcome to. If you feel more comfortable receiving it there, that's fine. But as the worship team sings and as we take communion together, let's just be amazed at the love of God. You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.